0: scripture this morning will be Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 verses 14 through 21. <clears throat> Pastor Donald's been going through Romans and it's been very rich, very timely. So join me in Romans chapter 12 verses 14 through 21. I'll be reading from the New King James. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
1: Good morning to you, church. Good to see you. And thankful for all the arrangements made for us to be able to Eat together a little later on. but First, we go to that word which God has given us down from heaven. His word. Well, in the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, the manna, he who came down to satisfy every need. We thank God for that gift. Let's pray, and then we're going to go into Romans 12. Brethren, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this the love of God was manifested, that he sent his only begotten Son, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for that work of redemption laying down your life for us. We were enslaved to sin. Oh, were we ever bound to thoughts and ways and deeds that were not honoring to you. Oh, thank you, Father, that you bought us out of that slave market, paid the price, tortured, killed in our place. Thank you, Father, that in so doing, your holy wrath was satisfied as it fell upon your son, Jesus Christ, punished in our place. Thank you. And for therefore that reconciliation that we have with you, you have purchased, made possible. We've been released from that penalty, released from that bondage, and now we're free to serve you and love you. And to do those things, that have been and remain yet un- impossible if it were not for your Holy Spirit who enables us as you've poured him out into our hearts. And Father, we thank you for those who are ministering who are not even with us today. Some, I think of Roger Ganji, who's, he is with the Gideons and going into churches in some places where they're not hearing the word so much. But now they're being called, as he's your faithful servant, to take the word and to give it out, to hand it to others And what the Gideons are wonderfully doing around the world, putting Bibles into the hands of those who are so in such desperate need. Thank you. And Father, we're mindful of those who are not with us, who are readily, continually are in a condition of trying to whole body together we think of Hal and Carol unable to be here but oh they're they can enliven their hearts encourage them give them refre- renewed hope confidence in you joy joy for the round trees as they their ongoing battle with cancer and all of the unknowns that go with chemotherapy and pray for Linda that she will find her joy and hope in you at all times and not uh, not be disheartened or just fall into despair. And now, Lord, as we open your word, we pray that our eyes will be open to see it, to understand it. Go into those places in our hearts where we are, well, we don't know what's there. Your word has a way of um, laying bare things, thoughts, ways, deeds, things that need to be dealt with by the power of your spirit. So here we are. We ask for these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I will say just another word about the outline. I don't want to make this too much outline-ish, but we do have something for you in the bulletin if you have it. If you don't, there are a few up here on the front row that they can be fetched, and uh, because we'll follow that uh, that that sequence. Uh, think about this for a bit, please. Offenses, offenses. Uh, we've all uh, been offended in some way or another. There's nobody exempt from that, and we've offended people. (laughs) Sometimes, well, we may know about it, and there are those occasions we do not know about it. And this, what's brought to our attention, this idea of offense, comes up in Matthew 16 in verse 23. Here is where Peter, who has really uh, kind of outdone himself in acknowledging the fact that Jesus Christ is Jesus is the Messiah but then he tries to stand between Jesus and going to the cross in Jerusalem Peter just doesn't get it and Jesus says to him he t- said to him uh, but he turned and said to Peter get behind me Satan you are a hindrance to me for you are setting your mind on the things of God and on the things of man That word hindrance, it's a word translated in other places, uh, to be offended. Um, It actually means to cause to stumble. Uh, Jesus didn't fall into the trap, but there is what he says, Um, offenses. The problem is with us in our response to offenses, unlike our Savior, who left us the perfect example of how to deal with the greatest offense of them all, more on that later is that if we refuse to handle offenses God's way there is a very untasty meal waiting for us bitterness a misunderstanding of ourselves that enters into it emotional disorientation we get confused we can't think straight about what we should and shouldn't do, and how to relate to others. I, what I'm about to do is, I guess, could be considered a little bit of a downer. This is a homecoming day, and some have come uh, from distances uh, to be with us. And I, But before we can go up, we'll have to go down. And what I began to do, uh, I, I had to put the brakes on it, I was probably, as I want to do, I, I will often just uh, let Beth hear a, a lot of my thoughts, which she doesn't need to hear all my thoughts, but I, I, I begin to think about the past uh, 52 years. Well, actually more than that. I pastored a church Well, I was in seminary for three years, so that adds up to about 57 years' worth of recognized offenses. Um, okay, what do I do with these? I, I can just kind of go off with some of them, what I've seen. And the more I thought about it, I said, oh, it's a good thing we sang, uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness, how appropriate that was. But uh, offenses, they come through different doors to get into the rooms of our heart. They're, they're a little more subtle than we may think. They may come in the form of a broken promise maybe that's i'm sure that's in your past in our past and we and i'm mindful of the fact that we may very well this offense business is a two-way street we we get them and we give them and how many marriages have encountered broken promises you know if a thought occurred to me where i'm standing generally speaking you know a little different platform but where i'm standing through these years, I've given vows to be repeated, and husbands and wives have repeated those, and sometimes with tears in their eyes and joyful expectations. And they made promises to uh, till death do us part, perhaps, of uh, what God's joined together let no man put us under. I will love you and cherish you, and sickness and health for richer, for poorer. I didn't now there have been not all, but there have been some, and as I've you know watched them go out those doors, they didn't end too well. Something happened. Offenses—that's what comes in. Now you take—I know of, of a young man of who had a problem. I have to flatten some of what I say out. By the way, what I'm say, saying here—they're not people in this church. Uh, uh, but I think of a young man who was going in, he was in missionary training school. He wanted to be a missionary in Africa. And he had a very good friend who eventually went on to be a very well-known missionary, uh, uh, evangelist among youth and so forth. And uh, and I knew him as, as I grew up into adulthood. I got to know him better. Well, he was going to take someone with him off to, they made the arrangement to go back to school. There was a promise given and a promise received. And this young man's, this young man's father-in-law decided he he knew what was best for his son-in-law and told the son-in-law's friend to, you just need to go on without him. He doesn't need to be there. He's got other things that need to be needs a job and so forth and it was know, some really disappointing advice and to make it worse it came from a pastor as well and so hey, this young man was grievely, deeply hurt and grieved by that broken promise I don't know that he ever got over it an offense broken promises <sighs> Well, the offense, it may be slander that amounts to personal rejection, an untruth that was told. Or it could have been something that was told, it could have been true, but it wasn't helpful. And it could be of a young man who constantly had to deal with his father's negativity. Oh my, we fathers, we've got to watch it. And his father was negative. And whatever his, son, his father had been so athletic and wanted his son to do well, and like whatever sport he tried, he never was up to it like his father thought he was. And he grew up in that atmosphere of essentially one of the most deadly kinds of rejection you have to deal with, and that's the displeasure or the lack of support and love, no matter what, from a father. And so now he's working, he, who has felt sent that, experience, that rejection and, and criticism constantly, he's having to work to overcome life and working through dealing with that relational limp that he has, if I may put it that way. And then there is another door through which offenses come, and that's physical abuse. A trust betrayed. Uh, A young man who is called in to uh, take care of a family's younger children, so we'd call it babysitting, but not necessarily babies, and some things happened that should not have happened. There was some molestation and offenses, deep, cut deeply, and to make matters even worse, Involved involvement in Christian service gave this person an aura, a, uh, an image of being a trustworthy person and did not turn out well. know well, this list could go on. I told you we had to go down before we can go up. These are offenses. Now, I, let me layer this in very briefly. Uh, I'm, you're we're half certainly mindful of this that offenses can lead to all kinds of, not simply wounds, but an impairment for living. Uh, We can build fences up around us. That's the way the human heart works, a little self-protection. And we want our resentment, we get a fence around it to guard ourselves from further hurt. Uh, It can be blindness to personal faults. You can get so much in thought about how you have been hurt, and understandably so, that you begin to consider that you have constantly the moral high ground in life. So it can lead to self-righteousness and judgmentalism. And... Failing to see one's own faults. Or, and this one can be bitter and hard and deadly, vengeance. The search for vengeance. Looking for paybacks. That's bound up in every human heart. Paybacks. And then what we run into, and we're getting right up close to this Romans passage. Never pay back evil for evil. What? but it's, it's so enjoyable, seemingly. Jesus said, never, never. And then vengeance then can get bound up with a fake kind of justice. You say, it's this is justice. Somebody has got to bring justice into this, and I'm the one to do it. It's what uh, Francis Bacon called wild justice. And we're seeing this on the front pages of the paper every day now, in a more uh, macro way through our nation. Eight people killed in a mall in Texas. And these seem to be almost every day somewhere, some mass shooting. Somebody's got a score to settle with fellow employees or just strangers, just taking it out on strangers, whatever. And then the sadness of this is the remedies that are offered like, well, the problem is we don't have enough therapists. You know, we, the reason for our depression and for our suicidal thoughts and for our anxiety and for the wrongs we've suffered and what people have done to us, we just all are victims and we need more, we need more therapists. Or we just need to disarm everybody. That's what we've got to do. That's where we'll go. All right, uh, we'll get to some of those issues a little later on, but I wish for you to now to take in your notes and look with me. Do two things. If you are a note-taker and you want to follow the line of thought, I'm going to begin with what is said in your notes. You'll see the statement, peace cannot thrive when we are driven to get even when wronged. You see that up on the the top of the right-hand page? All right, with that said, uh, let's look at the passage that brings this uh, thought to our attention. Look with me at uh, chapter 12, and let's see what, uh, what the Apostle says here to the Roman church. Of course, in verse 18, as we saw last week, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We treated that last week. But now look what's added on to this. Never take your own revenge. Never. So often in Scripture, as I pointed out previously, that Scripture begins with negatives. uh, I know that's not all there is to it, but that's not a bad place to start. a good place. Never, he says, do not take revenge. Love is without revenge. And You know, one thing that occurs to me in this passage as I think of the context, this is really a call to be a peacemaker, is it not? As much as it depends on you, be at peace. Well, when you set out to be a peacemaker, you're going to need some kind of uh, bullet protection. (laughs) You're going to need some kind of protection. You will be in the crosshairs of others. Never take your own revenge. Don't, uh, though call is to the way of love, forgiveness. All right, we'll go further with that. But never, never take your own revenge. He says, beloved. Uh, We could easily jump right over that, but don't do so because what Paul is doing is to remind his audience that the way of life for believers is the way of love, one translation, my friends, but those who are loved by God, loved by one another, as Paul loved them, and leave room for the wrath of God. I'm really intrigued by this word, leave room for, is that don't get in the way. Don't stand in between God and the person who has done the wrong. Get out of the way. What do we do? When we seek to take upon ourselves to get vengeance, to get in a payback mode, we are in the way for God to take care of it his way. hard for us to understand. Oh, that desire for revenge, it's deep, be abiding, but so don't but leave room for the wrath of God. Though revenge is a natural way to go, it's not the option for the Christian. He says, therefore, for it is written, quoting Deuteronomy 32 and verse 35, it's Moses' swan song, when you read back through Deuteronomy, gets to the end of the trail in his life, and he uh, is reminiscing theologically and also anticipating theologically what Israel has done and what Israel is in store for. And this is tucked right in there. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord is going to right all wrongs. Oh, chew on that. Think on that. Hold on to that. His wrath is being directed toward evildoers. Don't have time to fully unpack this. But it's not a matter of some kind of soft justice that's advocated here. No, 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 no. We already know from Revelation excuse me, from Romans one and eighteen and following the first chapter that the wrath of God is manifest now against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So there is his wrath, and that wrath is turning sinful human beings over to a banquet of consequences for their rejection of him and his revelation, his revelation in nature, his revelation in the truth of the revealed word of God. And he turns us over. That's part of the wrath of God. i my own persuasion is that's part of what we're experiencing in our nation. God says, you want, you ask me to leave the room, I'll leave the room. How does it look with him gone? Well, we know he's not gone, but his his presence of blessing and mercy have been removed. It's an ugly, ugly thing. I see no hope apart from a massive turning turning to God Almighty and go to our money and live by what it says. In God we trust and go to him. More on that when we get into Romans 13. So there is that way wrath is expressed. We could go through other ways, but I want to go with this a little more more deeply. Come back to this statement that I've made. I've tried to represent some of the things, and I'm only going to take well I'll try to take the the remaining statements which I I'm seeing as a reflection of what's being said here in this 19th verse by the way in verses 20 and 21 that's a separate message and we're going to work with that Lord willing in a couple of weeks peace cannot thrive when we are driven to get even when wrong we are not to avenge ourselves never say it another way never seek personal vengeance couple of brief reasons here before we can excavate it further we 're sinners. who do we think we are? We think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think that we think we have the complete picture, the proper perspective on whatever has happened, what has created this wrong against us. Our judgment is inadequate it 's inadequate. You recall Paul said that to the Corinthians in second corinthians it 's in chapter four, where he refers to the fact that, you know, the world out there at large can't judge us on our rightness and wrongness, ultimately. it can't hold court on us. And fellow believers cannot even hold some kind of an adequate uh, jurisdictional proceedings on us, whether, you know, judging us. And then he says, I'm not even innocent myself, I can't, I don't have enough understanding of myself to make a fair evaluation of my motives and what I've done and haven't done. So we're inadequate as sinners. We're self-centered, we're biased judges, so we have to recuse ourselves. We have to, if we're going to make ourselves the judge, to enter therefore into personal vengeance all right, maybe I could go further with the other, that God is the one who determines justice and the way in which justice will be delivered. So look at the ways, uh, you wouldn't have these before you, but I'm, I've thought through some ways in which we can do that. It's kind of dirty stuff, but just in case, I can, I can get, try to get even by deliberately inconveniencing others. Oh, that's a smooth one. Yeah, that, well, who will know what I'm doing, but I can try to, I can get back by making this person who's wronged me to making their life just a little more uncomfortable and difficult, and, and you can be sly in the way that's done. This is not a recommendation, but just a little view of the heart. The Lord said, make room for God's wrath. God's going to right the wrongs, but mm, we get in the way or by verbally striking at a sensitive error area and this is the stuff that really blows up families is that you get to know one another and we you know we we say you know what the hot buttons are boom and you hit it and so we can, verbally striking at a sensitive area i read this uh, saw this somewhere recently where this woman who having mar- marriage problems and she winter pastor to get some help as to what can be done It says uh, my my husband is just when we we have our arguments he he gets uh he gets historical and he says, You mean hysterical, don't you? She says, No, no, because every time we get into a fight, he goes back into every wrong, everything that i've ever every sin I've ever done, and brings them up so I get a history lesson from him. Oh my, watch out, verbally striking and sensitive air, or ridiculing ridiculing them in front of others, or by avoiding them or failing to speak to them. I've I've said often, you know, it, it could be in the cereal aisle at Publix or Kroger's or who knows where it could be, in the parking lots of life. Oh my! we must watch ourselves by seeking to hurt them physically. That gets brutal. it can happen. And oh, we can have plans to do contrary. I saw this the other day. it wasn't related to this, but it was a quote from uh, it was Joe Lewis the boxer, and Mike Tyson, both of them had said this. He said, "You know, we all can have a plan to somebody hit you in the face." <laughs> It can just go away seeking to hurt them physically or by taking them to court. Uh, mm, We've got an issue direct deal with that in a subsequent statement here in 1 Corinthians 6. and We'll just sue America's favorite indoor sport, litigation. Or by turning a mutual friend or family member against them. This is like getting up a posse. Getting up some who can come alongside and take up your offense. And then of course, that's ignoring the sign that's so obvious on the highway of life. Uh, <clears throat> he who has first to present his case, offense, is uh, innocent until another comes along and examines him. Uh, we can do that. You don't hear both sides of it. And if you ever are tempted to—I shouldn't use the word tempt—but if you're ever asked to help someone in a counseling situation, and somebody is presenting to you, maybe a marriage thing, a friend and a family, and they're bringing something to your attention about this person, and by the time you get through hearing them, you think, well, we need to call the FBI. This is, <laughs> this is real serious. Just remember. He who is first to present his cause seems just until another comes and examines. You do need to get both sides. All right, so there is this uh, this get evenness, this thing. And we've, everybody in this room this morning, we've all been wronged in some way or another. Someone has wronged you, I know. And you and I, we have wronged others. So we do need, we need a lot of wisdom. And we have to work with dealing with things like injustice and partiality and prejudice and covert persecution. It's terrible things. However, I'm not, the, the nowhere in this passage is there any kind of soft justice advocated. God will see, and he will see that justice is done. And we are to be concerned about the principle of truth. That's important. You know, you may be thinking, well, okay, I can't get revenge. How does truth, how do I speak truth to these situations in which I've been embroiled? The ones I can remember and the ones that I'm not even remembering right now. How do we speak truth to all this, to myself and to circumstances? That's important and we need to ask that question. We want to see God at work. We want to see justice to be done. We want God to vindicate himself and do what is right in this. And so let's consider the next statement. Peace is achieved when we seek reconciliation when wronged. All right, there's the big word, reconciliation. Exactly what is involved. I like these first, these initial steps. These are not original with me. These have been taught here some years back when we were doing regular, uh, we were giving ourselves regular exposure to Peacemaker material. Do you remember those? Um, I I pulled my workbooks off the shelf in my book, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. I started looking at that and I said, whoa, (laughs) where have you been? (laughs) we need this, and I needed it, and I read it, and it was overwhelming. And I'm, I'm aware of this, that here's the, here are the basic steps that you go. And you remember the four Gs? And we, we can't unpack them now, but the, here's where you go. The direction you go to seek reconciliation is glorify God, How can I please and honor God in this situation? That is my prayer, Lord. I don't know that I, I'm not sure I know. I think I might know, but I need your guidance. And then secondly, get the log out of your eye. How have I contributed to this situation? What have I done? And it's a process of examining oneself. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Watch out, by the way, when you pray that. I've, I confess, I've prayed that and then I've even caught myself in the middle of the verse. Do, am I really asking for some things here that I really don't enjoy? I could be, but search me. If I want to honor God in this, but how have I contributed to this, this conflict? What do I need to do to resolve it? So I got to get this going. I'm dragging this two by four in my own eye, and I'm here trying to take a uh, handkerchief and get a speck of dust out of someone else's eye. And then the third G is go and show your brother his fault. How can I help others to understand how they've contributed to this conflict? You know, and that, by the way, precludes something. I don't go to everybody else in doing that. I want to always work at containment. Containment. And don't spread the wrong around. When, well, that's a little sermonette somewhere, but you want to work through it God's way. And four, go and be reconciled. How can I demonstrate forgiveness and encourage? And get a reasonable solution to this conflict. Now, there's a lot that goes with those, but then I've added something that uh, I want to chase a bit. I I'm, I make a public acknowledgement of this because I came across something I was thinking along these lines, and I kind of felt myself going down some cul-de-sacs and. I know I had these days mentally you look at something and you say, I know there's more to this, but. Uh, and by that time I walked over to my bookshelf and I looked at a book by the title, When You Have Been Wronged. Oh, <laughs> pull it down. Where have you been? I thought. <laughs> and I've had it for a few years, When You've Been Wronged. And it was quite helpful to me. Erwin Lutzer, by the way, is the author. If you want to go online, I would recommend, for you want a personal project, I recommend that. But here is some of what he provides, and I think it is it, helpful. It helped me. And, and what, what do you do when you're seeking reconciliation? Keep in mind that there are at least three kinds of, well, three approaches. There is full reconciliation, now, full reconciliation—that hey, is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That's where we want to go, and that's where there is forgiveness. Of, and and forgiveness takes place. There is repentance. Oh, oh, oh! don't Leave the repentance. There is a turning, a turning of the heart. Uh, more on that in a moment. But there is, there is this. Uh, turning to change directions in which I'm going in my thinking, in my relationship, and you seek to get trust and honesty and respect restored, and not forgetting that forgiveness is a decision. It's not simply a feeling, a generalized feeling about something. It's a decision that we make, and it's it's the the word for—there are two words in the New Testament to forgive— There is one word that emphasizes the fact that it is a release. That's the idea. It's used to describe a release from a debt, to release someone from a penalty. They don't owe you that. You absorb the liability. That's part of it. Then there's another word. The root of it is the word for grace, and that you give that in the process of forgiving you're giving to the other what they do not deserve as God has given to us that which we did not deserve. You remember the famous parable that Jesus told that we won't recount it but you owed the man who was owed us an incredible amount of money and he and he was forgiven but he wouldn't forgive someone who owed much much less. Uh, so there is forgiveness and this comes into marriages where there have been damaging, hurtful things done and said. And it takes, you have to rebuild. And by forgiveness, you've put yourself on a pathway of, of love. It, it lives out in love day after day after day. And so that process and what can happen in full reconciliation is that it's a wake-up call. It's in your marriage. Something's happened that's been catastrophic. And it's brought things in you. The person you that sinned against you, they ask for forgiveness. But then you realize things, oh, they're things that I've overlooked. I need to change my perspective. So you can have that aspect to it. But it's got to be rebuilt over time. And respect and trust are built over time. Over time, and they have to be have to work at it, and remembering that forgiveness, as I said, it's not a feeling, nor is it forgetting. It's trying to get become an amnesiac. Oh, I I'm not remembering it as much. Therefore, not necessarily. And it's, and nor is it excusing. None of those. And so I absorb the liability. All right, full reconciliation. I, I would hope that somewhere in your experience in life that you've seen that, experienced that, you know what that is. That's where we want to go. That's the gold standard, full reconciliation. But then there is partial reconciliation. What's this like? Well, it's when there is a recognition of wrongdoing. Yes, that comes up in center stage and then there is forgiveness that's both requested and received. At least there's the exchange of, uh, of, of thoughts and words on this matter. And at the same time, some serious damage to trust and respect have occurred. You just can't walk away from something like this and expect everything to have been just the same. And... You know what you may encounter in this partial reconciliation is that the, the, word, the repentance may be said, but it's not really deep in real repentance. Uh, repentance is not something you say, it's something you see. Yeah, I mean, you can throw the word out. You can throw words out easily. You can have word salads. They sound good and, uh, I forgive, I've repented. Really? What's it look like? It's got to be evaluated. Party one would see what's been the wrong that's been committed as a serious sin, but party two, party two, we're talking about this partial reconciliation, party two can just end up trivializing it and minimizing it. And so, you know, when sin is viewed superficially, it will be dealt with superficially. Oh my, how we need to stand before the sanctuary of, in the sanctuary of God and be taken with his holiness, and that it not simply be a song that we sing on the Lord's day, but that our lives become increasingly overtaken Uh, the magnificence of the holiness and perfection of God and we're humbled by it and see only then can we really see in the full daylight of God's holiness and truth where repentance what it should look like and what it should be and its consequences so oh repentance when it's when it's simply when you it's not just simply saying it I can't say that enough and When the real fruit, we're talking about partial reconciliation, when you begin to see that the real fruit of reconciliation is not evident, you you look at the situation. Things are not, at some level, they're not as bad as they were. At least you got things out in the open and there's maybe some conversation going on about this. But uh, maybe it's one of those cases where the uh, maybe there has been some problem of a broken trust in a babysitting arrangement, a child-sitting arrangement, and then that person says, Well, I, I am, uh, I've asked for forgiveness, and I've, but you know, partial reconciliation. Will you trust that person to come into the picture again in a comparable responsibility? Probably not. Let's be realistic about these things, biblically. Caution. Exercise caution. So, there it is. But whenever possible, we should do what we can do, what can be do, to make partial reconciliation full reconciliation. Are you with me on that? We don't just throw it all in file 13, this offense. But we get something going, some conversation. Let's m- keep moving it. And you and I will be the ones who are finally responsible when we recognize it to keep it moving forward. And then there is no reconciliation. No reconciliation. This can be compared to, I, I, this came out in what I was reading, you may be dealing with a spear thrower. You may be dealing with a saw. And Saul never let up in going after David. That's a study in itself in forgiveness, by the way. And though David had his flaws. After all, God did say David was a man after his own heart, and how David had occasions to get revenge, and he didn't take it. And so you may be dealing with a Saul who is committed to being a spear thrower. And you can't reconcile. It says, if you forgive me, I should not have to repay the money that I owe. That's not reconciliation. Yeah, if you forgive me, then all right, well, let bygones be bygones. Now, there, there, where there is restitution, restitution would be factored in. Or you can't reconcile when. When there is not a real evidence of forgiveness. And you're being given, you've not been given all the truth. You've been given a distorted explanation as to what's going on. And beware when there's no reconciliation. Don't let the spear thrower define you. Don't let the person who has wronged you define you. What are we to, do to let define ourselves? Following hard after Jesus Christ, denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. It is seeking the grieving, not the Holy Spirit. It's seeking to live in the fullness and the power of the Spirit and to glorify him. That's the way of life that I should be choosing when there is no reconciliation. I can do that by God's grace, by His enablement. But some people will not let you have, they will not let you have a full relationship. It, can, it may be in your family. You may have a spear thrower in your own family. Uh, there are not stories about them. maybe an in law, and they've got it in for you, and they'll never be satisfied until they undo you in some way. All right, well, here's the call. I can live before God in a way that's pleasing Him, no matter what is happening, or to put it this way: in the meantime, stop watering stop watering silk flowers, go on forward with God, and do what would please and honor God as you can. And then I'll conclude this little brief treatment on reconciliation and if it fails. What do you do when then finally when reconciliation fails? I say two things. First of all, forgive even when reconciliation is not possible. You can, we can do that. That's called, that is called uh, one-sided forgiveness. Mark chapter 11 and verse 25. You go to God and you forgive. And what do you do in that? You're making a choice to live a life of love and mercy toward that person who wronged you. Even though they've not asked forgiveness, and maybe they're continuing to throw spears at you, maybe. And this isn't, you don't deny that the pain's enduring. Some have to live with this a long time with people in business relationships and family relationships. And so it's not a matter of minimizing the pain and the hurt and the evil, trying to say, oh, it's really not all, hey, just forget it, not all that bad. No, you don't go there. And you realize the wrong, and you, what you do, just go back to that word for forgiveness, one of the words that's used, you release the wrong into the Lord's loving, sovereign hands. Lord, I don't know what else to do, but it's in your hands, and I can be loving. I can be loving because to know you is to love others. So help me. And then secondly, this is of great importance, that the Lord will repay on the day of final judgment. There is, there will be a payday, and there will be an assessment. Now for believers, the judgment seat of Christ. Need I break this down? When it's a fellow believer situation, there is going to be wood, hay, and stubble. There's going to be gold, silver, and precious stone. There will be works that will go up in smoke. We'll be saved so as by fire, this is Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 3. That may be me. Maybe I have rationalized my way through something or refused to take care of a wrong that I should have. Maybe it is I. Well, there is where we come before the Lord in the judgment seat of Christ. And there is for unbelievers who seek to do wrong with no conscience whatsoever who are destroyers like Cain or a spear thrower like Saul. And there will be the occasion in which it will be finally dealt with by God for him. Well, I want to conclude with this, and I see that there are some other factors that I'm not able to give attention to, but let me, if you will, give me a little patience on this one. I call to your attention here that peace is preserved when we anticipate difficult situations and plan ahead how we will respond biblically. This is where it is so important to think this way. What, what situations am I likely to face this week? Or what situation am I in? Uh, maybe I need to write something to myself. That helps some of us. I just need to... let I found that when I start writing or typing, things things come out of my fingers. Where'd that come from? (laughs) And it comes out. Thank you, Lord. And maybe it helps, that would help to uh, plan. How will I do this? Or maybe it's some get-together that's planned in a few days or weeks or months, and you say, all right, how should I be thinking and planning for this? And I want to talk over my responses with a faithful and wise Christian friend. I I, I need that help there's somebody else and we can help one another and work on biblical solutions and learn to accept difficult situations the wrongs that are committed and not thinking that I've got to have immediate payback or I can't be satisfied something's terribly wrong with that thought that picture don't get in the way of God's process of seeking bringing about justice let him take care of it I am to seek to live peacefully. Well, Lord willing, we have a couple of, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to come back to this passage because I've got verses 20 and 21. So I, I've left some things hanging in the air, and um, we, we'll finish some of these thoughts. But I, I would say this in conclusion, how important this would be. If you want to get a, if you want to get a thought, if you want to ch- pursue Pursue the Savior. Remember what He did on the cross for me and for you. What did He do? He forgave. Forgiveness was bound up. Now, yes, there needed to be repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord took, He absorbed the liability that I was due. I was in the wrong. I'm a sinner. And He paid the price. He was innocent completely. He had no rap sheet. I do. And Jesus took it, was tortured, mocked, ridiculed, hated, abused, killed for me. Can I not then emulate my Savior by his grace that those blows struck against me And Lord, help me those blows that I may have stricken against other people, that as you bring them to mind, I need your grace. Thank you for the Savior that he stood in my place and took your judgment, took your judgment, Father, so that I could be free and be released to serve you and love others and be a peacemaker for Christ's sake. It doesn't get any better than that. God help us. We need you, Lord we're weak we're frail we want to do what's right but father we just have a real fight on our hands we need you we need you so that we can glorify you honor you please you and lord that those wrongs committed oh that we'll seek to do everything within our power as you enable us to make those wrongs right but lord we leave all wrongs ultimately to you you will right all wrongs Thank you for that hope and promise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.